0: We are back for another episode of The Lock-In, sponsored by the lovely people over at Unibet Poker. I am joined, as usual, by famed poker strategy author, Dara O'Carney. Dara, I hear the new book is, let's say, imminent. What can you tell us?
1: Uh, yeah,
2: I certainly hope it's imminent. Um, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned, I've done all my bit now. It's The rest is all in Barry. Um, I was kind of hoping he'd get it done while I was in Barcelona, um, but he's been dragging his heels a little bit and So yeah, time to get out the whip on Barry We definitely want it out by Christmas, that's for sure um, Because it would Well, you know people Stocking stuffer Exactly, people buy more books in the run-up to Christmas Than the rest of the year So, um, I mean, we say this every time Like, oh, this book will be really quick Because we know what we're putting in it And then we end up taking even longer than the last book So um, it is what is it is Is this the longest one? I think it might be. It it feels like the longest anyway. I mean, I I literally remember saying to Barry, I think we can knock this out in a few months because I know exactly what goes into it, but uh, actually like all the, well, I guess not so much like satellite Uh, with satellite. The challenge was kind of like getting Barry up to speed because he was really, really terrible at poker and didn't understand any of the basic (laughs) concepts. Um, That's not the challenge anymore. He's actually become pretty accomplished as a player to the point where he goes off and runs his own Sims now. And, um my job has kind of changed to uh just just checking them and uh and making sure he's drawn the right conclusions from them but but now the challenge is more actually maybe it's a it's a function of that now because he's more of an equal partner on that front There's sort of back and forth as to the best way to uh to get the information across and what to include and what to leave out
0: Well, self-effacing as usual. You mentioned there that he's uh, an accomplished player these days. He did have a very funny tweet midweek about uh, uh, how it's great being a shy player because uh, everybody wants you in their game and they queue up to hang out with you and and, and they like you so much. Um, Joining us this week is a great friend of the Chip Race. He is uh, making, I think, his second visit to this specific show. He's been on the other show as well. He is a commentator, podcast host and PLO specialist. He is our great friend, Henry Kilbane. Henry, welcome back
1: thank you thank you for having me back
0: we're delighted to have you back henry i just heard on the grapevine that you will be joining us for the return of the unibet open in malta that's in a few weeks time you lived here for a short while i can't remember how long exactly a few years back are you looking forward to returning for some poker action
1: yeah definitely love the rock and and your uh memory is correct it was a very short stint uh i think on paper nine months, but due to COVID, I think I only ended up living in my apartment for about three weeks. So uh, yeah, <laughs> a little short. bit I, I saw
0: you during those three weeks. <laughs> so at least I caught you once.
1: You did. Yeah. Yeah. But some money getting thrown down the drain in the form of uh, rent for a property that I, I couldn't get to stay at.
0: Yeah. Well, look, the last time you commentated a, a Unibet event, you started the COVID pandemic. What infectious disease guess, are you planning true. on
1: bringing with you this time? <laughs> that's right. Patient zero, you was. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I I mean, I remember uh, in, in Dublin, we were in Dublin, right? And I, I was kind of like patient zero getting quarantined in some hotel room uh, with not much information about COVID at the time. And I, I don't know, man. it was weird. We, I think we... None of us really took it too seriously at the time because we didn't know what it was. And then I left for America. And if I recall correctly, when I got on the plane, there had been one reported um, death, if I'm not mistaken, in America. And by the time I landed, so about 10 hours later, that number or the tally had gone up to like 20 confirmed people. And then the whole world kind of started locking down. It was, uh, yeah, weird times, but... All, all that aside, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to heading back to, to the Unibet Opens.
0: Well, we are looking forward to seeing you, of course. Uh, we are keen to get to, I guess, uh, eventually the, the latest poker news, gossip and scandal. But before we do, I want to talk specifically about you, Henry. You are on a heater right now. I saw you post the other day, I think it was on Instagram, that you just had a 50k month, not too shabby. More importantly, though, you also said how you feel like you're playing very well PLO is obviously a particularly swingy game. At this stage in your career, how good are you at discerning between the times when you're on your A game and the times you're just drilling every draw?
1: Honestly, that's that's an amazing question. It's something I've been speaking to people about a lot recently as well because it's very easy to fall into the trap of like, wow, I'm just like playing so well, uh, when the reality is, you know, you just keep getting in with 65, 70% and holding against, you know, or there'll be on the flip side, you know, you get in with top set against the wrap and a flush draw and the turn just pairs the board and you, you win infinite big blinds. Um, so honestly, I, if I had to just like be completely transparent, I, I think I've just been on an, uh, just an insane heater. Um, if I look back at some of the hand histories that I've been discussing with my closely knit circle, um, there's definitely been quite a few hands that I've actually butchered and just had very favorable runouts. Um, so trying to, uh, trying to keep that in mind going into sessions that, Hey, you know, sure you've been running well, that does, um, that does give you a little sense of confidence going in, but not to let that confidence get, like carry you away too much to the point where you start excusing, uh, V pipping too wide, for example, pre-flop is something that I've definitely been guilty of where I feel like I'm winning every hand, you know, I'm no, I, every all in, I'm just, you know, just getting there um and i've definitely felt over the last week or so this um this sense of like entitlement tilt as well where where i'll just be be getting involved in multi-way spots that i shouldn't be and and i think it's a good reminder for people to to try and be realistic with themselves and not get too carried away when you you are on an upswing to not get overly confident if you will
0: that's extremely good advice darrett there are clearly times when we as poker players do feel a bit like henry when the wind's at your back and your tail is up the best advice is usually to recenter yourself mm. so as to avoid entitlement tilt winners tilt or whatever you way you want to express that and also to repress i guess the temptation to jump up in stakes too quickly because obviously mm. with a big month comes a, a, a big role dara can you elaborate on that idea of sort of recentering yourself when times are good
2: yeah, I think this is something that football managers and sports coaches obviously know too. Because anytime you watch an interview of a football team that's going really well, the manager invariably says, "Yeah, well, we're going really well, but we have to, uh, we have to keep working, and we have to just focus on the next game." And when a team is running really bad, is going really badly, they tend to say, "Well, look, we just have to keep plugging away, and the results will come." So they're always trying to get their players back to the center. I sometimes think maybe poker is just a little bit different. I mean, obviously, there are some players who are very much prone to. I I mean I mean I think there are different types of tilts and obviously the most common one is when you're running badly and you start letting it affect your play or maybe your productivity. I've told this story before but the first professional that that I knew very well in the game uh we were grinding sick and goes back in the day and if he had a really really bad Monday he'd take the rest of the week off because he felt that uh that he that, that he just wasn't in in, in the right Um, mindset. But, but if he had a really good Monday, he'd also take the rest of the week off (laughs) because he was essentially like locking up his profit for the week and he didn't want it it to go. So, so the only time he kind of battled on was when, when, when he was um, running roughly break even. Um, And I think actually for a lot of players, it's kind of similar. They do find it hard to keep playing when they're uh, on a downswing or at least not to let their affect their game. Um, but then there is also so-called entitlement tilt or winner's tilt or positive tilt, whatever you want to call it. When you're running well and you start also changing things, you know, as Henry mentioned, maybe you're v too wide. Maybe you decide to move up in stakes. Maybe you're taking more gambling spots because you think you're going to win them all. Um, all of these things can get to you as well. Uh, I actually think I'm probably um, a weird third type where actually the, the, the time I find hardest to get motivated is when I'm, in a fairly prolonged, roughly break even uh, spell, what I call a, a side swing. When I'm swinging, I'm always motivated to try and get out of the downswing and to keep grinding through it. Um, and I never have any problems sort of uh, showing up every day to play. And when I'm upswinging, you know, with the wind of my back, I also kind of want to keep it going as long as possible. And I feel I'm maybe making better decisions because of the fact that that, uh, I'm, I'm very confident, but when I'm side swinging, it just feels incredibly boring. It's just like, well, why am I even playing every, every week? I'm ending up with roughly the same amount on my accounts as the others. Um, So I think, you know, we, we always say that we hate variance as poker players, but like, do we really like if, we could be guaranteed you are going to make your expectation every single day. Uh, Would your productivity go up or down? I think, I suspect most of it would find it very boring. And I think the reason for that is poker players are people who sort of um, run from the real world and run from the routine of the nine to five job. And Mm -hmm. if you turn poker into that, and that's kind of what a side swing is um, then it loses a lot of its appeal for us.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of now the fourth type, which is where, uh, you're running well and your horse is losing all the money that you've made or vice <laughs> versa actually, maybe you're
2: yeah. running badly but your horses are failing you out oh man yeah amazing. we've we've yeah we, we, we well actually there's a whole bunch of dynamics there you're running badly <laughs> they're running badly you're running well they're running well they're <laughs> running well you're running badly etc etc and they and they all provide unique challenges as well i think that's why uh, one, one of the big reasons i decided to get out of staking it's just uh far, far too much going on there yeah mm.
0: Well, look, the other side of that coin is obviously running badly, and it's fair to say for most players, the downswings have a way of burning themselves into our memories a little more. Henry, some downswings are gradual and prolonged. Others can be sharp and precipitous. Recently, you spoke very openly about the latter specifically. You were presented with the opportunity to take a shot in a much bigger game than you would usually Mm -hmm. play, and it went horribly, horribly wrong. Can you tell our audience what happened?
1: Yeah, so it was actually a really weird dynamic. It just started off um, as a 5 10, 25 PLO game. Uh, nothing to write home about, you know, uh, just settled in for the session we're playing six handed. And this reg, really good reg that I, I actually respect a lot, um, announced that he was leaving the table on his button. And it just so happened that on his button, him and the VIP ended up playing this, just like, I want to say somewhere in the realm of 4,000 big blind pot. Like there's something absurd, like it just, but they're both like, you know, bearing in mind we're we're about seven, eight hours into the session, they're both incredibly deep. Um, and he'd already announced that he was leaving. Um, and then obviously he wins the pot and he's like, okay, you know, be a bit, you know, I don't want to leave. So I'm going to stay for an orbit, but after an orbit, He's kind of like, you know what? I don't owe anything to anyone. And I, and I respect that. He's like, he did announce that he was leaving. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like 1 a.m. And the VIP just is just fuming. He's like, right, well, I don't want to play anymore. He's like, I only want to play this guy heads up. And the reg asked me, he's like, Henry, like, do you mind? Because I think we were like four handed at the time. I was like, do you mind if I play him heads up? And I was like, look, bro, you won the pot. You caused the damage. Like, it's, it, you earned this spot. So you play him but then after about 20 hands, he's like, you know what, I'm not interested in playing heads up. So I was, I said to the guy, I was like, look, I'll play heads up if you want. And he was like, okay, but I only want to play if we play 50, a hundred, um, which like, yeah, for me at the time, uh, was pretty irresponsible, but I was feeling pretty good. You know, I I could tell that he was obviously frustrated and he was going to make bad decisions and whatnot. Um, and it all started off going incredibly well. Like I, I think, uh, within the space of like three hours. So we're heading into like three, 4 a.m. I'm just up heaps against this guy and we've uncapped the buy-in. So he just kept going to the cash desk, just buying in to cover me, going to the cash desk, buying in to cover me. And I'm just like, well, I just can't quit this guy. But the issue with that is his pockets are infinitely deeper than mine. And we're playing a game that obviously, you know equities can run incredibly close uh, in, in Omaha. Um, he's very aggressive pre-flop. So the SPR, even though we're deep is just getting reduced significantly compared to a normal game. Um, and I, I I remember like making a couple of just what felt like close, close calls against him, like where I just kind of stationed him in reality it's probably just like very easy folds on my part, but after like making a couple of these like close calls in my mind, um started like losing my grip a little bit on him and he kind of ended up winning the uh the mental war if you will because i i just don't know it's a mix of like ego entitlement i was just like hang on you know like i'm the one that's meant to be like i'm meant to have an edge here he seems to be getting the better of me and bearing in mind at this point i was still actually up against him um but fast forward you know five six hours uh he, he got me good. He got me, he got me for, uh, for about 80% of my, my bankroll at the time. And, and I remember speaking to Espen, like literally an hour, uh, after, you know, heading back to my hotel room with my, my tail between my legs kind of thing. Then, and, and Espen's response was just like, well, that's just super irresponsible. Like, why would you not, uh, why would you not like message me or other people for, to buy some action? I was like dude it's like 3 a.m 4 a.m in the morning like I can't just because like we have you know auto books in place for certain stakes uh, or certain games where like if I deem a game to be really good but I don't want to take 100% of my action um, I, I have people that will auto like have auto books but this was a game that was 10x the stakes that I'm normally playing mm. you know uh, so I can't just like uh, text Espen the next day, be like, hey, bud, by the way, I auto booked you for 30% in a game that's 10x my normal stakes. You now owe me 20K or 30K or whatever <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like looking back, uh, super irresponsible. And I remember at the time, kind of again, just like from an ego point of view, just realizing because I was, I was trying to, this like false sense of bravado, if you was like, yeah, I would take the spot again. It was such a good spot. But after thinking about it, it's like, actually, how good of a spot was it? You know, like, you're playing a very high variance game. This guy has deeper pockets than you. He can continue to reload. Like, eventually, his 30% is going to get there for a 1,000 big blind pot, a 2,000 big blind pot. And he can afford to keep on putting himself in those spots where his 30% is going to get there. I can't. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty painful lesson to, to, to learn, I guess. But, um yeah, looking back, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't recommend it.
0: No, indeed, no. Well, Dara, down the years, we've interviewed guests with wildly different opinions on the subject of shot taking. I remember a bluff article by WSOP runner-up, Paul Wasiga from the mid-2000s, where he talked about the importance of shot taking. And I remember thinking, yeah, easy for you to say, mate, when it worked out so well. From a pure Kelly criteria point of view, it is clearly correct to take on more risk if you have a larger edge, but it's easy to get carried away as Henry did there. What did you think when you first heard Henry's story? Did you think, yeah, you know, he's young, it's the right time to gamble? Or did you think, oh, no, he's just blown heaps of his hard earned money? I got to say, I was in the latter camp and I was really, really upset for him. (laughs)
2: yeah i probably felt a bit of both to be honest like if you are going to be responsible and gamble doing it while you're young and you don't yet have the family responsibilities and all that stuff is definitely the time to do it and it's also the time when you have the most upside because if you do if it if it does go very well you have more years ahead of you with the with with Mm. that increased bankroll to take advantage of it uh you know whereas like if i took a shot now you know I could die next year and then it hasn't really helped all that much so um plus i also have all, all the family responsibilities so yeah i mean uh, i I'm, I'm i'm fairly sympathetic to the idea that it's fine to take a shot when you're young so long as it's like it's not going to completely wipe you out um you i think you kind of have to weigh it up as a sort of a time uh thing like how how much if this goes badly how much time do i lose getting back to where i am yeah. now um compared to like uh, how 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 much can i gain if it goes well how you know will it will it jump me forward two years in my development uh if i just keep on at the pace i'm going and like that's kind that's kind of the icm calculation if it's going to take you two years to rebuild and you're only jumping forward a year then it's a it's a bad shot but if you're going to jump forward three years and you will be able to rebuild in a lot less than that then then it seems like a reasonable shot
1: yeah, that, that's that's a really some really solid points, and and that that those were the arguments from uh, from some other people. I mean, Espen's a, a little bit more on the the nittier side when it comes to like bankroll management. Um, but I spoke to other friends as well, and they basically reiterated exactly what you said in the sense that like, look, I think I was I was 26 at the time. Um, it was like a shot that I'd never been in a position to take before, and obviously, had it gone well. Um, you know, all of a sudden, I'm you know rolled to start playing or you know at least shot taking 25-50 uh, a lot more regularly um, compared to like the five-ten games that I'd been in. And you know, it, it, we li- we live in a really interesting industry where y- you always hear about the shots that went well. Yeah. For the most part, you rarely hear about the shots that where pe- people took the shots and completely missed. And and that's why I always just try and be as transparent as possible with like where I'm at because I don't want to give people this, this like, I don't know. I think as like, poker players are pretty guilty of only showing the upsides. It's something that I, I really admire Dara for actually is, you know, when it comes to posting Saturday or Sunday results, um, you know, Dara will always be transparent about oh, Look, I've actually had a really bad month managed to finally get out of it, you know, this month because of this Sunday session. And I think that's what people should should try and do with with themselves is firstly to be more honest with themselves about how they're running, but also to be, you know, honest with everyone else like their peers and, and people in the industry.
2: Yeah, I think you're spot on. Like the thing is, like the people whose shots go badly, they tend to just disappear from the game, and we and we don't That's think true. about them. On, except maybe six years later, we think, okay, I wonder what ever happened to. But uh, you Paul know,
0: Paul where is he now?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where exactly? Where is Paul Wassica now? But but um, I guess I'm probably more conscious of this than 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 most because I have had some very close friends who basically shot took their 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 way out of their profession um, and ended up completely mm. broke and. And, uh, and at a point where they either couldn't rebuild or they just didn't have the motivation to do it for, for the umpteenth time, um, it, it can become a a vicious cycle as well. Like it's it can, I think it's fine yeah. to take one or two shots, um, but you know there are some guys who just take every shot and they're just they're mm. perpetually uh going back to bust and then they have to rebuild um and then you really wonder like what what is the game people used to say that about Joe Unger that like no matter how much he won he would never take money out of the game that it always just went into the yeah. bankroll and essentially therefore uh it, no matter how much he won he didn't really win all, all, all he was winning was the ability to go on playing poker
1: yeah no, that's very true and I also just like something to note as well for transparency reasons is I, I'm in a slightly more privileged spot to aggressively shot take in the sense of, that I have uh, like variance-free income in the form of you know commentary and stuff like that. So, like I I think I've definitely been more on the aggro side with shot taking uh, throughout my career because I've always had that uh, safety net, if you will. It's like okay, well you know if this shot doesn't go go well, okay yeah sure I'm down to sub five figures. Um, but I can just grind commentary for the next six months and rebuild and, and then go from there, which isn't a luxury that that other people have. So I definitely need to to kind of keep that in mind as well and try and be more honest with, with my shot taking that I'm not falling into that trap.
2: Yeah. I think Henry's done a very good job. And a lot of, a lot of young players could, could, could look at the exa- example of Henry and, of, of building this other income. Um, like that is vital. Like I, I, I was much more aggressive um, in my Vegas campaign this year, for example, kept much, bigger pieces of myself and in terms of the pieces of other people I took. And a large part of that was I'm at a point now where the other income streams are are the highest they've ever been. So like, even if I have a bad Vegas, mm. it's not a case that I'm going to have to go back and grind $5 tournaments to get it back but um, I think that, that that is something young players in particular should be mindful of uh, if you can develop those other income streams they do, it, they're they not just income and and you know often they'll say oh yeah but it's like less glamorous you're making X an hour and I can win 100 times that in one pot um, and that's part of the mental um, difficulty of sometimes taking that other income but Henry seems to have his head screwed on on this front
0: Yeah it feels a little bit like as well the idea of being honest about it, this kind of warts and all, this is the industry. Obviously, Henry, you're a content creator, as are we, and I suppose it benefits us to always talk about what we're going through. And it wouldn't make sense if we were just talking about when we are winning, because clearly there are loads of periods of times during an average year where you're losing. So talking about that as well, I think actually makes it kind of compelling for people who follow your career or follow your content as well. I, I think there is a sort of, um, well, I, i'm following the journey the the roller coaster of it up and down I, you know they might be rooting for us they might be rooting against us but whatever it is there is a sort of a, a sense of like this is a real story of this person's mm-hmm. you know journey in the poker world where i think if you are the type of content creator or poker player who puts out social media posts only really talking about their successes um without maybe showing the other side of it too there's a huge danger that nobody just takes you that seriously and and never has a great sense of like that you're telling the truth or that it's a real journey anyway. Um, Anyway, uh, speaking of content creation, I want to move on to one of the news stories that I guess is not very specifically like this week's news story, but it's sort of a general thing that's coming in. And I I guess it has a a couple of uh, uh, touch points in the last week or two. And it's live stream poker. Clearly live stream poker cash games are the talk of the town right now. Between Hustler Casino and Live at the Bike over in the US, there is a really big investment and resurgence in televised cash game action at the moment. Last week was Phil Helmuth week at Live at the Bike, and bizarrely, the poker bra short-stacked throughout. While technically there's nothing wrong with buying in for the minimum to a cash game, there are actually some strategic advantages to doing so. It is against the spirit of a week, specifically one (laughs) billed after your name as the headline act. To do so uh, during the week, of course, we were treated to some classic helmet rants—a war of words between him and, I guess, a, a new kid on the block in terms of big personalities in the poker world, Eric Person. And when the feedback got back to Helmet that his short stacking was not going down very well, we got this rather bizarre speech from him, promising to buy in for larger amounts of his own money—definitely his own money—in uh, uh, future games. Um, Henry. This renewed interest in uh, live stream cash is clearly great for the game on the other channel, so to speak, of that sort of live stream coin. uh, Hustlers stream featured a super high stakes game with a host of regulars, including Alex Keating, who received mostly positive reviews for his splashy willingness to give action. And I guess general table demeanor, too, although he is a polarizing, I will admit uh
1: yeah, Alan, Alan Keating.
0: Oh, Alan Keating, I'm sorry. Thank you for, thank you, Alan. Yeah, sorry, oh, apologies, yes. uh, Alan. Uh, yeah, no, no, that is uh, that is his name, sorry. Um, clearly these streams bring a lot of eyes to poker. Uh, they They probably, on a good day, create a bit of a Wimbledon effect, get more people playing. And I suppose it's as close to what is realistic these days, uh, as the late night tv poker shows on tv you know that we used to watch when we were coming up as a commentator what do you look for in a lineup what's the right mix of personality good play big pots that sort of you know in those sort of ingredients
1: well, I think uh, you know verbal jousting is it really plays a massive role in in these types of lineups. Like you don't want a table full of people that just aren't really engaging or needling or whatever it is. Just like conversations and um, and these kind of how do I want to phrase this? Like something that I think Hustler has done really well is they've created these quote unquote rivalries, if you will, you know, between some of the players. And I think people or viewers, consumers of content, that's what they get invested in the most. It's like same in like football, tennis, like you have a fan favorite, you have these rivalries and and people want to to watch to find out, you know, is the the fan favorite going to get the best of the villain again? Or is it the villain's turn to, you know, put a beat on on a fan favorite? Um, and I think that's something that Hustler have just done so well is just focusing on the personalities that they have, um, you know, Garrett, Wesley, Alan, um, to, to name a few, Andy, uh, all of these guys, just great personalities. Uh, I would love to see more of it on our side of the pond. I, I think, I think we, we have the venues to do it. We have the production arms to do it. Uh, we have the, the players to do it as well. Um, I'm kind of surprised that nobody's pulled the trigger yet um uh, because i i would love to see it done over here you know we have same bunch of characters that are willing to play high stakes poker and put on a great show for us and um i think the, the the reason it hasn't happened yet is because obviously there is a lot of politics involved unfortunately in these these high stakes games um it's not just a case of uh showing up with half a million in cash you know you, that doesn't automatically get you a seat. So so yeah, I, I would like to see something uh, done done in Europe, but also I'm, I'm aware that there's a lot of politics that that, that unfortunately still plays a part in these uh, these higher stakes games.
0: I can absolutely imagine you commentating on, on such a game and I, and I hope they do manifest. Dara, Hustler clearly have a vision, sort of outlined there a bit by Henry, and they are going about their business with an eye on ratings. Uh, can that be taken too far though, or this... Is this just sort of reality TV now where the more sensationally it, it gets, the, the better? I, I suppose what I'm saying is while TV poker has to be entertaining and engaging, and that requires some amount of conflict, as you know, Henry mentioned, you know, the rivalries play into that perfectly. Do live streams in the pursuit of audience numbers run the risk of bringing the game into disrepute?
2: I mean, obviously, everything can be taken too too far, but I don't think Hustler have 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 gone anywhere up near 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 the line. Um, uh, from my perspective, everything everything I've seen of them has been fine. Um, I think Henry touched on a good point there, which is they that they have good characters. Now, I think they've actually created those characters. I think the producers done an amazing job, just the way they frame it all. Um, they they clearly have a very clear idea of of what the different characters are. The characters are essentially made by producers. And, you know, we've had this conversation before about why is poker not producing so many characters anymore, like back in the golden era of TV. But in the golden era of TV, it was the TV producers who decided essentially that Helm is going to be the, the poker brat and Dean Eggs is going to be the chatty kid poker at the table, etc., etc. And they cast all these um, almost cartoon-esque characters, but characters that people could decide who they wanted to root for based on their own personality. And um, they have done that. And, and also the conflict is, is also very good. But I think one thing which uh, maybe is not getting enough attention is just, just the stakes are super important. It's something that poker seems to just constantly lose uh, sight of is that people are really are, are always really interested when there's a lot of money on the line. Uh, the average player in the street, if you tell them, uh, you know, first prize in a tournament is 10,000 compared to first prize is 10 million. They're, you know, they're going to be far more interested in the second one. And it really doesn't matter who the players are. Um, but 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 you know, th- given that they are going to have the same cast of characters over and over again, they have done a very good job of creating uh, the different characters. So I think they've gone they've gone about it perfectly, and they they are reaping the rewards of that. Um, as to why it's not happening on this side, I mean, again, I think Henry's right. Like, there's a certain amount of politics as well. But I think also, uh, you know, this is more of a there are maybe more of a tournament scene. There's a lot more tournament streams let's say from europe um than there are from the states um so uh, so, so that's kind of scratchy, that itch in a sense there's a lot more big tournaments let's say that people can watch and uh, and see people playing for a lot of money for whereas that's uh, once you get past the WSP and the wpts there's not too much of that in the states
0: you know, I think you, you touched on something really important there, which was the role of the producers. Clearly, you know, whether it's and Danny, and the sort of shows he's historically put on and, you know, clearly he still works with Pauka Go and those people. And they put on shows all the time as well. These guys are giving them a run for their money. Vertucci, I think, is involved in the production of one of those shows. I can't remember which one. And, you know, the, the, the Feldman's involved in the production of one of the other They're poker people. They know the game. They understand character. But they they clearly, and I don't know what any of their backgrounds are, but they clearly have some sort of narrative understanding too, like you said, creating characters, you know, making sure the uh, commentators know what to emphasize. I think that's a big part of the the way they can lead it. If they get the commentators to sort of say, you know, prep them ahead of time, go, well, if him and him get into a pot together, really amp up, you know, any personal beef or remind the audience of the last hand they played or whatever it is. I think that's all, you know, emphasizing the right stuff because it's very easy to watch, Uh, live TV cash game poker and find it utterly boring as people just have their bit of table talk and and nothing. I think the commentary and the production and as you said, where the emphasis goes on can be massive and really, really sort of um enrich the the story aspect that is what ultimately i think people cling on to henry any final points on that any 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 final thoughts on on sort of like if you were given that role as either commentator or producer or something like that in europe let's say with a cast of maybe european-based people who who would you pick first of all or who would be on your top of your list to have in there and i suppose like how much of the conflict would you want to be part of it
1: uh, I, well, I honestly think you guys uh, just hit, hit the nail on the head in, in how important it is to have a producer and a production team at the helm that really understand poker. And I think that's where um, a lot of other companies have unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, have, um, have tried and failed. Um, and it's now allowed Ryan, who was a professional poker player um, before getting involved with Live at the Bike, then had the dispute with the bike moved over to, to Hustle, but he, he understands the, the LA uh, private game scene really well. He understands what sells, he knows how to sell poker. He knows how to create these storylines, these narratives. And, and I'm sure he's there, you know, having discussions um, with clear directions for the commentators to, you know, really uh, focus in on certain things when there are, you know, certain players involved. And on top of that, um, they just have a really good social media team as well. You know, they've got all of these funny graphics, these memes, they understand Internet culture. And I think mm-hmm. when you have um, when you have that all packaged on the one roof, it's it's always going to be a success. I mean, look at their their Max Payne Monday. It's what, 10 percent of the stakes that Garrett and those guys play. I think it's like a 10, 20, 40 game. And even that is getting 10, 11,000 viewers whenever they go live. So I think in Europe, if it, if it was to, to happen, um, just take a couple of uh, micro-influencers, if you will, some of the people that already have a bit of a following. It's really easy to generate um, to generate rivalries between you know uh, social media influencers or poker influencers, if you will. Bring in a couple of VIPs, obviously, that don't mind splashing around and, and are happy to compete. Um, and, and I think it would work on European side as well
0: very good well moving on now uh, the Goliath is on right now in Coventry beautiful Coventry mm-hmm. Dara we, we were very fond of the Midlands here on this show now we've never said a bad thing about Nottingham Coventry Birmingham or anything of the sort no. we saw our pal Jack Hardcastle take down the UKPT that is attached to this festival a second GUKPT title I think now for the man we predicted would be one to watch many many years ago Jack also has a couple of WPT titles and an 888 title plus heaps of final table finishes already in his short enough career Henry you are also good friends with Jack I know you guys have travelled together I know he was having a a fairly brutal Vegas but clearly he's right at his path now what in your opinion makes Jack so good?
1: I I think for Jack he's just absolutely relentless when it comes to pulling the trigger in 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 spot especially in like he, he really understands pain thresholds of recreationals really well and I think um I think it's something that a lot of pros that are maybe new to the live scene really don't hone in on enough I, I feel like maybe Dara would probably be more better versed to comment on this but something that I you know hand histories that I've heard from Jack where he'll just really put people in the bin like he'll just like you know when when some when a recreational caps themselves on the turn he's not going for you know the 80 percent uh probe on the river he's going for the four X pot and putting them to the test for all of their chips and, mm-hmm. and when you when you are that relentless and you just don't have uh, you know you're not fearful when it comes to pulling the trigger um especially against that player type uh, i think that that's what puts him in such a prime spot to build a stack early on you know, then approach the bubble with a very playable stack and then obviously abuse the bubble a lot more. And he just puts it, he he puts himself at a position where he either busts very early in day one, which you'll hear him seething about on, on Instagram or Twitter, (laughs) uh, sorry, on Instagram. Um, Or, you know, he'll approach the bubble when he's top 10 in chips. And then after the bubble, he's top five, because he's just relentless when it comes to really putting people to the test for their tournament life. And and I think that's a skill set, that uh, a lot of the online guys struggle with when, when it comes to adjusting to the live environment.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like he, he understands the the live exploits really, really well. Daryl, I'm flashing back now in my mind to a night with uh, a young Jack and his friend in Brighton circa, I want to say maybe early 2019, as I recall, we paid for all the pints that night because at that point he had accumulated a, a paltry 52k in live tournament winnings. Uh, today, that number is over 1.3 million. I think it's fair to point out that his heater began right after that encounter with us, right?
2: Um, if you want to put it down to the pints, yeah, then that's fine. It, that, this is also around. I would have said the
0: conversation. I was, conversation over I was the actually pints.
2: working with Jack with uh, doing doing a lot of solver work and. Um, I think actually Jack is quite, is a bit of a misunderstood player. People think he's, he's this mad exploit light player, etc., etc. Jack, Jack crushes online as well when he, when he gives it attention. And actually when you break down a lot of Jack's plays, they're very much solver approved. I think people yeah. mis, often misunderstand solvers and think they encourage you to play in a really boring, cautious style, but that really is not the case. Um, I was absolutely thrilled to watch the heads up. Like Jack absolutely crushed the heads up. Um, he played so well, but again, like I'd, there wasn't a single spot where I was th- think where I was thinking, oh, the solver wouldn't do that. There, 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 there was one hand, for example, where he um, he double barreled the nut low, and then he still had the nut low on the river, and he went for the four X pot. And I thought, yeah, the solver would absolutely love this because uh, the other guy has capped his range by not raising at any point, and um, uh, and 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 actually, he got the guy to fold two pair, which is which, which is pretty astonishing. That that would. That would have been a real turning point. He would have been down to fumes had he been called. But he ha- he also has that fearlessness, and you know Jack would admit himself um, he kind of boasts about the fact that he's never run the same in his life. But that's because does. that's because yeah. <laughs> Uh, he gets other people to do it for them. basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With yeah. And the other person will go back and say, "Yeah, the solver does this because of this," and <laughs> that could be very good at internalizing the reasons, um, yeah. the heuristics, rather than just like staring at solver output and trying to memorize it. And he is he is that new generation of player who um, that they, they have come from solver learning, but it's not just rote and repetition. It's literally an under it's a deeper understanding of poker that comes from understanding why the output is the way that it is and um uh spoke to jack almost immediately after he won and he's he's not a humble man um (laughs) i I think i played absolutely flawlessly uh, and i I kind of had to agree like he just plays so so well these days and you know he gets himself when he gets into these spots like he's just not going to make a mistake that's the great thing about jack he um his confidence, veer bordering on arrogance, is actually a good thing because he he's sort of like he doesn't there's no self doubt in his mind. He's just gonna go for it.
1: Hmm. I'm glad. Also, said also, it, see, it, glad it sounds, sounds one said.
0: like one of the key things to do is uh, get yourself a, a, a
2: sim butler. Is that the sim best? Butler, Yeah, and, and he and he has a pile of sim butlers. I mean, yeah, Jack, Jack takes a pile of people who uh, guys who are very very good at solvers, and and he's sort of just uh, all the information flows up to to the Jack Daddy. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, Henry. I
0: could have crossed you there.
1: No, I just said I'm glad Dara said it because I, I I was gonna say <laughs> you know oh he he likes to go around pretending like he hasn't touched the sim but he's you know he's uh, got a lot of people looking at spots for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he he's uh, probably equal number of sim and, and burgers or photos, Instagram photos mm. of burgers that he's that he's at.
1: Yeah, all about that healthy lifestyle, for sure.
0: I know, right? Uh, Look, back to the Goliath. This is one of the great low-stakes, huge field festivals. It's massively popular with the recreationals in the UK and beyond. And I'm pretty sure it has broken all its own records once again. Our very good pal and former guest of this show, Katie uh, Swift, uh, hosted a record-breaking ladies' event featuring... I think it was 219 or 216 players. Darry, you could probably let me know. I think you sent me the message telling me about that huge number. These kinds of festivals are really, really important for grassroots poker. The equivalent sort of event in Ireland each year is the IPO. And I'm delighted to say that this week, Unibet Poker have confirmed their partnership with the IPO, which will be held in the Bonington Hotel over Halloween week. That's its normal slot. Dara, talk a little bit about the importance of grassroots poker. It's obviously part of the lifeblood of poker, really.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it always has been. But the last few years have obviously been interesting and that there's been no live poker. And, you know, we're, we've all been aware of the online boom that that start, came, particularly at the start of the pandemic, where loads of bored people at home decided, oh, maybe I'll try online poker again. Um the thing which surprised me when I started playing again at the sort of grassroots level uh, in Ireland was just how many new players there are. Um, the, a lot of these guys, I guess, are guys who played online during the thing and now want to play live. Um, they're, they're, they're they're coming in at a much lower level than, you know, they're not buying, jumping straight into the 1K level. Um, they basically want to play lower buy-ins. Um, the other thing I noticed was that lots of guys who I hadn't seen in 10 years and I thought had quit the game uh, we're actually back again. It's almost like the pandemic made them realize, you know, you can't take anything for granted anymore. Live poker might not always be there. So um, that, it it sort of uh, reignited their, their desire to play poker. So, you know, I've been at a few um, grassroots events here in Ireland. The Irish Poker Tour in, in particular is really taking off. And unusually for tournaments in Ireland, when I sit down at a table, I don't recognize most of the players there um because uh they're new players and similarly they, they have no idea who I am
0: Ah, will you stop of course they do
2: no no seriously they, they, <laughs> they absolutely don't um which is which is kind of refreshing it reminds me of being back to the start um uh, uh, of my career just being an, 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 another Joe at the table um but there uh, there's also a great atmosphere among the new players like they're all fresh they all they, they all still have have that early enthusiasm for the game and I think we're going to see a a boom in live tournament poker in Europe um, that will sustain for a few years, because a few of these players will get better. They'll move up in stakes and they'll become regulars in the 500s and 1000s, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, we saw Barcelona break all records as well, uh, which we talked about in our show from Barcelona. And I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see a real boom time and we are going to see an, an influx of new players.
0: Well, Henry, speaking of Unibet sponsored events, I want to segue back briefly to the Unibet Open, which is in just a few weeks time. While this one is obviously an 1100 buy-in, it's not exactly a grassroots buy-in, there is without doubt a sort of grassroots, sort of maybe community vibe is, is a better word for the Unibet Opens players have been satelliting into this one for months. I know feeders start for as little as a Euro. There are going to be a couple of stories of people who've sort of ridden the satellite train all the way to that kind of thing. The satellites have broken records. And clearly this is one where there's hunger because even though there have been other live events for the last year or more, Unibet haven't had a live event except for this week in Belgium and, and, and the upcoming Unibet open. So clearly maybe people who are loyal to our site have not actually had their little taste of of the live scene. Talk a little bit maybe for me about the importance of fostering that notion of community in poker. You obviously being in the Twitch streets and sort of in a lot of different, uh, maybe Discord communities and and whatnot are probably very well-placed, maybe better than Dara and I, to understand how that sort of works organically in, in the modern poker landscape.
1: Well, I think it's something that Unibet have always done uh, exceptionally well and not just Unibet, but the like, not, not to blow smoke up your asses, but uh, the the ambassadors as well, because you look, if you think back to when you first started playing poker, or if I look back to like when I first started playing, uh, it could be a very intimidating experience. You know, like you, you drive to a casino, you've got X amount of money that you want to play you know, a cash game or a tournament with and And it's intimidating. And and that community aspect that that Unibet have created in both the online streaming platforms, uh, sorry, through the online streaming platforms that you have access to, as well as the actual community sites and the ongoing like free rolls and satellites. It gives people just that little bit of, you know, I don't really know how to phrase it like it's not it's not sense of security, but you have people that you can communicate to, you know, it feels like a lot more friendlier environment, even though poker is obviously extremely competitive. And when you have that and you can go to an event and there's people that you can talk to and catch up with and it's not all just, you know, intense poker. Uh, I, I think it really opens up the doors to a much more pleasant experience, uh, especially for new people compared to other you know there are other events where you go and you look around your table you've got six young europeans with headphones and hoodies and if you're venturing out for the first time um i don't think that that type of experience is going to be something you're looking to to come back to and i think that's something that unibet have done incredibly well over the years and and i'm looking forward to it for exactly that reason because it's not uh it's just not that that same you know intense mm. atmosphere if you will it's it's just a lot more friendly and a lot more open and and i love it for that
0: yeah, two points there that you, I really want to emphasize you picked up on is like, firstly, it can be a lonely old game if you're just going off in your own to play. You know, some people quite mm. like their own company and maybe don't mind For it. Sure. But if you are a, a, a more, you know, uh, social person and you don't have pals on the circle and you don't have an existing community maybe going to the live event that you're going to, it can be lonely just sitting there having the dinner breaks on your own or whatever. So I'm sure that's uh, hugely valued. Also, absolutely right, the intimidating factor. We've all been, you know, new to poker at one time. And you walk into a poker room and everything's at hyper speed and it's got its own lingo, and you know everyone else seems to know each other, that can be a very intimidating atmosphere. So if you're already uh, embedded with an online community and then you can sort of put the face to the name that's a really nice way in as well I, I think you've hit on mm. a couple of good points is that the reason pray tell Henry why you now being you know a commentator of such illustrious uh, tours like Triton where I imagine they must pay you I, I'm going to guess ballpark five grand a day you're still willing to you know come down into the trenches with Darren and I for a Unibet open and, and, and all the <laughs> Unibet community
1: no, honestly I think something that I, I learned pretty early on is what you just mentioned is that for a lot of people, poker is a social experience. and when you understand that and you understand that people like so my parents, for example the the way they socialize, they go and play bingo you know they they take a couple of a couple of hundred pounds a week and they'll go and play bingo and for a lot of people, poker is their bingo. it is their night out down the pub you know having a few drinks with some friends over a friendly game of cards and And I, yeah, you know, I I think that's something that I've like really tried to emphasize to um, other professionals, young professionals that sometimes take the, take themselves a little too seriously, um, especially when a recreational will try and strike up a conversation. Look, mate, you know, you don't need to approach every spot in your career um, through the lens of how can I extract the most EV, you know, by not responding to the 50-year-old the who's down here playing a, a 500 for the first time in six months. Just engage in the conversation, take the headphones off. And, and yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why I, I enjoy coming down. <laughs> and also the other reason is, you know, uh, as you mentioned to uh, about Jack back in 2019, uh, you bought him a few drinks and then his career seemed to just go on like an insane upswing. It's the same story for me. Are you
0: Chip race run good. It's, it's a real thing, cut- isn't it, Dara?
1: yeah exactly. You, you brought me a couple of GNTs in some uh, musky room in Bratislava many many years ago and and it's all been uphill since then. so uh, yeah it's always nice to come down and just uh, support support the tour that you guys have got going on and, and obviously just assist in in any way that I can.
0: Yeah, we are the forest gumps of you know world poker. We're just we're we're you know we're, well I am anyway. Dara has proper achievements. I'm just the one who's like nearby when everyone else is doing very well. So I'm probably I'm the forest gump. Um I want to also point out Dara, and, and you may have noticed this, there was no denial that he was paid five grand a day by Triton there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're very keen to find out what people are paying. I want
0: to know how much they get. I, I know. I don't. I don't. I know how much they pay me to come in, take in, the
2: stuff. <laughs> I remember at the start, you used to tell me, "Don't, don't worry what, what what other people have in their bowls," and that was the way you used to uh, phrase it. But it seems that these days you're, you're just all about poking in other people's bowls. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, like I mean, obviously, this is the first Unibet Open that's back in a couple in several years live, and um i'm really looking forward to it uh they are absolutely unique events um sometimes you go to events and you're really not sure how they're going to be you know how social people are going to be um for example like i enjoyed EPT Barcelona a lot but it's not the most social event in the world you have lots of different nationalities there and most people are there just for the poker and they don't really want to talk and i actually think that's an important thing about an ambassador too. probably the best advice i ever got, received on this didn't come from another poker player but came from uh a dealer, one of the best dealers I know, Danny Petku um, shout out to Danny and she told me that one of the keys of being a good dealer is to sort of mirror back what the players are feeling and how they're behaving in other words if they're quiet you be quiet, if they're chatty you be chatty, if they're yeah. sad you look sad, if they're happy <laughs> you be happy etc. The last thing they want is like they're steaming over a bad beat and the dealers beaming broadly at them. So I thought that was very good advice and uh, that's generally what I do when I go to table. You just try and you know, read the room, see if people are in the mood to talk mm-hmm. uh, or, or or if they're not. And if they're not, like you, should, you shouldn't you should really force it down their throats. It's like, well, we, we're all here now and we're all absolutely have to talk. Some some people absolutely hate the enforced socialization of poker and they just really want to be in their own little world. And um, Shout out to my friend Carlos Welsh on that. He definitely takes that to the extreme. Um, so yeah, it's all it's it's all about just kind of like reading the room and, know, and and knowing who you're surrounded by. But but at unibet opens, you generally don't have to do that because everybody's there just to have a good time and um uh, and 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 they are fairly raucous events.
0: I'm not sure, Dar I've definitely sat at the table with you where I was in a very bad humour, and you've taken great glee in the fact that I was in miserable humour.
2: Yeah, you don't count. I mean, you're not. Uh, <laughs> you're you are you are not the target audience.
1: <laughs> well, uh, valuable, look, valuable soft skills that you mentioned there Fisher boat are. Yeah, very solid.
0: Absolutely. And on this one, shout out to Natalie sabatko who's putting in a Trojan bit of work to get this Mm. uh, one woman show up and running. I think it's going to be a really good event. Record numbers Mm. for for Malta, uh, almost certainly going to be there, given the satellite numbers we're seeing. And I think people coming from as far away. uh, And I know we'd want to get the shout out there, as I'm bringing up, people coming from Australia. Jesse McKenzie, I know, is on the way over, but also Jan. Jan Sokanik, friend of the shows. Yeah,
2: Uh, I mean... Technically, Jan's coming from New Zealand, where he lives. Um, he—I think he's a fugitive from the law or something. So he's actually <laughs> risking ris- risking life and limb coming. But actually, he's he's just been touring around, enjoying the billionaire lifestyle. Uh, been touring Europe for the last few months, and he's and he's deigning to join us in uh, in Malta, which I'm very f- much looking forward to because I haven't seen the grumpy old bollocks in in, in several years. He didn't do uh-huh. Vegas either of the last two Vegases that we were at.
0: I heard he was down to his last billion, Dara.
2: Ooh, yeah, rough. yeah. I mean, Jan, Jan, is a funny guy. He told he told me recently that his investments weren't going well, and, and I said to him like, "Well, how bad are they going?" He said, "Well, I could end up with like a pauper," and I was like, "They can't possibly be that bad." And he said, "Okay, just to just to uh, just to clarify, I mean, a pauper like you, not a <laughs> pauper." <laughs> so. Um, yeah, looking forward to yeah. Also, Jesse, I think the last time I saw Jesse was probably, actually, no, I would have seen him at the Aussie Million since, but the last time we saw him together was Prague several years ago. Also, yeah. also a great guy to hang out with. Um, And I also want to reaffirm your shout-out to, to Natalie. I am, Unibet used to have an amazing live events team. Uh, Natalie's the only one left now, so I feel really sorry for her going into, having to do the entire Unibet open on her own. I know she'll rise to the occasion, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't envy her, her job. Can I give one final shout out to something I'm doing? And and I'm, I'm
0: putting it on camera now so that I actually have to finish following through because I've written it all up, but I have to sort of maybe maybe make it look nice on a web page or something. I'm going to do a visitor's guide, a poker player's guide to Malta, but it'll be very narrow and specific to just things I like. So it's basically going to be gin joins. bars, yeah. mescal bars, uh restaurants, some cheap and cheerful, some a bit fancier. And, uh, and maybe some nightclubs as well, some bars. I just want to give people a sort of a, maybe a, a friendly user's guide to maybe some of the stuff, uh, help them avoid some of the more treacherous paths in Malta, because it is a mixed bag. You can go down the wrong street in Malta, and all the places are terrible, but you can also go down the right street and find loads of nice restaurants and good things. So I'm going to try to have that up on some form of web page in the weeks before the event, so maybe people can decide, you know, if they do have time off the table, that they can find a nice restaurant or a nice bar to go to. Um, And and they'll definitely have set foot in somewhere that I was and that they can ask for me and they will probably uh, receive a blank look from the uh, um, waiter or whoever it is until they explain it's the Irish guy who, you know, comes in here all the time and then they'll remember and then you probably won't get great service, to be honest, after that. Anyway, September is traditionally a month of big online series. We're just entering September as we record this. We'll probably be in September when it's out. And we've got another series coming up uh, on Unibet Poker. This is a very, Dara, you told me this was a very chilly episode when you, you saw the, the, the right, notes that I do feel I believe like my exact phrase episode. was chilly. So I usually <laughs> only have Absolutely. one thing that I'm sh- Apologies, guys. This is very chilly. Do you know what? Sebastian's going to love this. Sebastian loves the shill. And has told me we need to shell more so maybe i'm you know subliminally it's working now and i'm I, i'm getting it out of my system in this one go anyway we have a unibat online series but i do want to shout a bit extra about it because it's a, a sort of a turbo edition not that it's turbo tournaments but it's shorter uh, we're calling it the lightning series And it will be just eight days of UOS action rather than 15, which I personally prefer, because I can really commit to an eight-day schedule for uh, leaderboards and stuff like that. I think those 15-day ones can be a bit grueling, although if we go back to the 15-day ones, they're not grueling, and I take it back, and I actually think that they're the best ones, and I'll say that then, because I'm shilling. Uh, No, seriously, though, there will be leaderboards at the low, medium, high level. Overall leaderboard will crown the series champion. Dara are you looking forward to this one you have to say yes Sebastian's listening
2: well I would have said yes anyway even if Sebastian listening. <laughs> but, uh, but 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 making Sebastian happy is always a good thing as well so he's the senior uh, yeah, no, he's senior marketing now he's, he's been given a promotion shout out oh, well promotion. Sebastian's a great Sebastian is great at his job so I'm, I'm I'm also delighted to hear that he's been promoted you you you, you keep up uh on these things much more than i do but yeah I, I like the atheist series although to be honest i'm committing to a lot of live poker between now and unibet open i warned my wife uh, she's very much enjoyed me lying on the couch this week uh watching breaking bad with her or rewatching watching breaking bad as we are i told her you probably just were, we're going to be back to just you bringing my meals at my desk for a month um so you're going to have to get used to that next week um so, but yeah, very much, I mean, the eight series is nice. You can definitely, you know, even, even lazy bollocks is like you can commit to eight days. And, uh, um, uh, did, um, but yeah, there's, the, 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 there's a lot of online poker. Online poker has become sort of a bit seasonal now where you can take breaks where there's not much happening. Yeah. and then you can go into other periods where there are lots of series, um, and all the sites are tending to coordinate their series as well, which they've kind of worked out is obviously for the for for their own benefit. So yeah, very exciting month of um, online poker coming up, and um, you know we, we've also got a preview of um, things to come. Uh, after the series on Unibet. Maybe we're not supposed to talk about it yet, but um, I think we are personally very excited about what Unibet are, 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 are planning on the tournament front. Um, and we'll probably talk slash chill more about that in future. T slash
0: leak as well. Well, I, I didn't do the leaking this time or uh, at least get the juices flowing. Uh, final question to you, Henry, are you going to be playing some online in the month of September or are you going to continue the live grind?
1: Uh, yeah, unfortunately, no, not going to be playing online. I'm uh, going to be in Cyprus for Triton until like the 20th. And then I'm coming to join you guys end of September. So, but listen. Uh, you keep shilling the way that you are. You'll you show yourself to that five k a day, that day rate that you, you're after. So <laughs> one, you know, one day, one day I'll get there. <laughs> and if you if you're overly concerned about me underselling my my five k day rate by joining you guys in Malta, we can always just set up you know a friendly five ten plo cash game or something to to get me out of the hole.
0: Well, if we do, I'll be short stacking it like helmets. Yeah,
1: so that's That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's cool.
0: That, by the way, that's called a callback for anybody. That is, made, that you know, is. That no, was that well played. That was unrehearsed, but that was just a natural callback. That's, well, that's, played. Dude, just well
1: played, well played.
0: Bring, Brings the whole show. That's that's. You should get paid five grand a day for you for, should for quality you should. callbacks like that. Okay, <laughs> it remains for me to thank you, Henry Kilban, best of luck in Cyprus. I hope it all goes really well for you. I hope the heater continues and don't be jumping into any big nosebleed games.
1: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I can uh, tame myself because some of these games here look absolutely insane, mate. But we'll see.
0: Good stuff. And Daryl Kearney, thank you as always.
2: Thank you, Davis. Yep. Uh, this this was fun, even if it was very chilly.
0: Pop <laughs> <laughs> up. Okay, good.
2: Cool. Where where are you at the moment, Henry?
0: Uh,